as we all know, the fourth industrial revolution has, of course, created really unparalleled opportunities for the world we live in. But as I said, it has also quite clearly reproduced the already existing inequalities, particularly in the global south. Welcome to Between the Binary, a limited series podcast highlighting the priorities, prospects and challenges of technology in the global south through the voices of experts in and from the global south. This podcast is curated for the John H. MacArthur Research Fellowship Program in cooperation with the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada. I'm Alina Noor, one of the two inaugural MacArthur Fellows and your host for this series. Welcome, Mary. Mary Angin, you are Assistant Professor at Coach University in Turkey, but you're also one of those interdisciplinary unicorns weaving research interests in international political economy, international development, computational social sciences, machine learning, and uh, AI governance. So in 2019 BC, before COVID, you founded a research lab bringing together researchers from multiple disciplines, including economics, computer science, history, law, political science, and international relations. Tell us, Mary, why is taking a holistic view of technology so important to you? Oh, thank you so much, Alina. Um, as you mentioned, as an academic myself, conducting interdisciplinary research on um, international development and artificial intelligence governance, I get to work with scholars from multiple disciplines, including economics, political science, and computer science. And the diversity we have in our working groups not only brings richness and, and creativity, but it also actually makes us realize how different points of view can lead to more comprehensive solutions. Um, because in the end of the day, the kind of research that we work on leads to some practical implications, some policy implications as well. I mean, linking this to maybe our, our initiative, our audience might have heard of our initiative called Initiative Digital Rights and Society, which we actually launched back in 2020 to establish a global multi-stakeholder process uh, in order to address issues raised by algorithmic governance. And with our first working group, we actually wrote a white paper to address the question of how economic, social, and political relationships uh, may be differently altered by algorithmic tools, emphasizing the particularities across regional contexts. In our working group, we had experts coming from various sectors, including multiple NGOs and researchers from academia like myself and from the global north and mostly from the global south, actually. And thanks to that diversity in our working group, I think we were able to have really fruitful discussions on the convergences and divergences in uh, the North and the South. And I think this also really reveals the importance of cross-disciplinary work. Uh, as I said, in our lab, we try to always underscore the importance of interdisciplinarity in finding solutions to issues 
that may be emanating from lack of knowledge in one field, which can be, in a way, complemented by the other. So uh, that's why we believe not in the, let's say, importance of one method over the other, but rather the collaboration of different disciplines using different methods. And of course, the di wide diversity, I also refer to diversity in terms of disciplines and regions and different perspectives. And in some cases, even different perspectives due to different genders might actually have a, a meaning uh, in the solution. Great, thanks, Maria. And I think that's a really important point to drive home how important it is to work with people from different backgrounds to get those different perspectives. Um, speaking of diversity, so you're based in Turkey and you split your time between Ankara and Istanbul, as I understand it. Tell us what the digital priorities are in Turkey because we don't often hear about them in the news headlines. And you know, are these digital priorities different from government to academia to civil society? Tell us more about what's important technology-wise in Turkey. Thank you so much, Alina, uh, for this question because that's something I also have been wondering uh, about. I mean, as you may have heard, Turkey is actually going through a major economic crisis. So putting my political economist hat now, um, I also have to, I guess, speak about this major currency crisis that our economy has been going through to be able to make some sensible argumentation about the challenges Turkey uh, has been facing and will be facing in the short run and in the long run from the perspective of different stakeholders, that's another question I can address. But as uh, you may have noticed, Turkish lira has lost nearly half of its value against the US dollar this past year as a result of the president's insistence on keeping interest rates low, which supposedly is a policy aiming to reduce Turkey's current account deficit. So the current figures show a major loss of household purchasing power and an ongoing exchange rate volatility. And the rising inflation rate is particularly problematic considering the consequent increase in the poverty rate. So just as a quick note, the annual consumer inflation rate actually rose to 36%, which is uh, actually a figure that was announced by the, um, the Turkish Statistical Institute. It's an official data which is actually highest point since September 2002, was right before the AKP government came to power. So this annual increase, price increases for necessities like transportation and food and drink actually rose even faster, reaching nearly 45% and 44% in December. So we're yet to observe major social upheavals, but protests have raised concerns about economic policy making. And uh, we also have heard of critical voices from the business community regarding the supply chain disruptions due to this instability. And the main positive effect of this policy is expected to be a jump in exports and a decrease in imports due to a lower demand for finished imported goods, which in turn should yield a current account surplus in theory. However, Turkey is not a technology exporting economy, and the sharp depreciation of Turkish lira and the rising inflation will continue to make access to modern technology really harder 
for its citizens. And that's why I wanted to tell you this background story before talking about the the priorities from different perspectives. A government will, of course, be more output-oriented, right? Setting specific targets in its economic policy. For instance, Turkey's 2023 industry and technology strategy document looks to the future with a goal to increase the share of R&D investments to 1.8% of GDP by 2023. And particular sectors are, of course, prioritized to achieve these targets. But digital priorities for civil society and academia differ, not only in Turkey, of course, especially in the global south, we have to say, due to the growing imbalances when the inequalities are not addressed by governments. In the case of Turkey, the technology priorities, at least as announced by the Ministry of Science and Technology, are in the areas of 5G and beyond, AI and machine learning, Robotics and autonomy, IoT, big data analytics, cybersecurity, um, blockchain, high-performance computing, space technologies, biotechnology. I may be missing a few, but there are, of course, numerical targets for each of these areas. But no targets on their adoption by the public or companies have actually been set. So this is for the government's perspective. As we all know, the fourth industrial revolution has, of course, created really unparalleled opportunities for the world we live in. But as I said, it has also quite clearly reproduced the already existing inequalities, particularly in the global south, who in large is lagging behind the global north in producing modern technologies. And this, what we could call is the digital divide really creates further inequalities between the rich and the poor countries and more generally between relatively advantaged and disadvantaged groups. And the same goes for Turkey. In this case, inequality is not necessarily, of course, determined um, solely by internet access, but also by information and communications technology, the skills required to go online, for example, This also concerns the quality of access to technology and opportunities to develop digital skills. And these are the the priorities that civil society and academia would like to address. I mean, global internet usage has increased immensely over the last decade, but access differences still continue, as we see. By 2020, I guess, only half of the, uh, the world's population by 2022, sorry, we'll have consistent access to high quality internet, for example. And the world economy is, of course, currently undergoing a new revolution that is characterized by an ongoing digitization of both services and transactions, which is part of the fourth industrial revolution, of course. But This revolution has fundamentally changed the way people connect, do business and organize their lives and failure to work with this technology that really drives growth will, in a way, remove digitally illiterate, if you will, people from the economy um, of the future. So the lack of digital access, therefore, will really hinder the development of the global south and increase the disparities in the world. The same goes for the local level. 
the marginalized groups are also really imbalanced under the influence of the digital divide, factors such as race, class, and gender really further exacerbate uh, the, the digital access inequality and, again, barriers to internet access, such as affordability of these or lack of education. These can really be aggravated by sociocultural norms, such as gender bias. Um, despite lower mobile device costs and improved broadband uh, network coverage, in Turkey, for example, um, women have less access to mobile phones and internet technologies than men. And access and ownership of ICT devices uh, actually remains pretty low in some parts of Turkey. According to a study in 2018, only half of Turkish households actually reported that they could access a computer or a laptop at home. So while computer access remains relatively low in the country, mobile phone access is quite widespread and is considered to be the leading device for internet access. But that also limits what you can access and the skill set that you develop in the labor market. The Turkish divisional divide, I would say, reflects the greater inequality faced by, again, Turkish women and, and low-income households. Again, Turkish women in particular access the internet and computers about half as often as us Turkish men, and that difference grows with age. So these are the challenges that civil society and, and academics who work on these issues actually would like to be addressed. But going back to maybe the other stakeholders, the perspectives of the industry, of course, the priorities, again, change a little there too. The impact of technological developments in the 2010s has become very important in the labor market, and it really created a demand shift. So it is expected that this demand change will increase, of course, in the coming years, and countries that develop policies in line with this change and train their human resources in the direction of demand will be able to solve this mismatch problem, increasing innovation potential, increase efficiency in production. Uh, and accordingly, they will provide, again, from the perspective of the industry, an increase in welfare. So on the contrary, countries that cannot develop the necessary policies, it is expected that there will be a mismatch in the labor market and therefore the welfare will, will decrease. It looks quite straightforward from that perspective. But in the digital transformation era, with the arrival of big data uh, and digital literacy, as well as data literacy, also becoming more and more important, I would say. In the case of Turkey, when we mm, take a step back and look at the uh, education system that is really training people, to make them literate uh, and digital and data sense, um, core skills in the primary and secondary education curriculum actually intend to include things such as critical thinking, communication, research, and problem solving. And many of these skills are taught in curriculum areas, but media literacy, ICT, technology, and design are actually taught separately. And none of these skills and competencies are specifically targeted. So there is really no assessment policy 
or teacher training program for these. And there are a few key areas that are in high need of technological advancement to be able to compete with the rest of the world. Perhaps the most significant among these are, are areas that are industry and ag agriculture. In recent years, there has been actually a paradigm shift in the industry, which has caused countries to enter a digital transformation race, if you will. And companies have been utilizing digital technologies to respond to changing customer needs and improve their operations. We do see that Western countries leading the digital transformation have actually taken some really important steps, but China is also one of the leading countries in this industrial digital transformation. We know that its digital economy reached about 6.2 trillion US dollars this past year, accounting for almost 40%, I believe, of its gross domestic product, um, which is really becoming a key driving force for its economic growth. Given Turkey's high-tech product exports and R&D expenditure, there seems to be a long way to go to catch up with the pioneering countries in this race. And according to research findings, companies in Turkey are still in pre-investment and planning period in terms of the obstacles encountered in digital transformation. Tech companies in Turkey really indicate that there are no domestic suppliers, while technology suppliers indicate that demand is a major problem for companies, which is indicating that technology is a, in a way, disconnect between supply and demand. From the industry's perspective, some important measures need to be taken to ensure Turkish industry will catch up with the digital transformation. So before making investment decisions, strategy, roadmap development, and governance competencies, of course, should be developed. And technology investment decisions must be taken in line with the determined um, strategy. But to ensure investments are steered in accordance with strategic targets, companies should firstly develop digital strategy and shape digital transformation roadmap in line with this strategy. I had the pleasure to be part of a digital transformation task force in uh, my own institution, Koch University. And it is, I think, the utmost importance to actually involve everyone in this process, not only people who are experts of digitalization, but also your academic staff who may actually have, again, going back to what I had said about interdisciplinary work and the importance of, of having different voices in the room, um, we were able to actually find some interesting solutions to the current challenges we face at the university when, when we switched to uh, virtual lecturing after the pandemic erupted. So a similar take is, I think, needed in industries for the digital transformation. That's, again, for the industry perspective. Similar arguments are also valid for the uh, agricultural sector. At the Looking at the sectoral level, agriculture seems to be one of the areas where Turkey really needs to put more effort in for using technology, particularly considering the current account deficit being a major concern for the government, uh, rather than importing agricultural goods, it does have, Turkey has the potential to be a major exporter 
And so smart agriculture could have been and, and should be actually one of the areas that it could focus on. Again, this comes from the academic perspective. People who work on smart agriculture, which involves interdisciplinary work again, agricultural economics, various engineering departments work together for this purpose. It is a significant sector for Turkey's economy. Again, being a major contributor to its GDP at, at 6%, I believe. And despite the importance of agriculture to the country's economy, digital transformation in Turkey's agriculture is really not complete. With most farmers using really outdated technologies due to lack of awareness and high costs also associated with deployment. And uh, we see that irrigation constitutes about 74% of all, for example, water consumption due to uninformed farming decisions. And the area sawn has been decreasing steadily due to lack of incentives resulting from high farming costs and low profit margins. I happen to know these details because my sister is also working on smart agriculture. Um, and these factors actually have caused increased prices and unmet uh, nutritional demands of the uh, increasing population. IoT, another area that is important for the technological advancement, uh, enabling seamless communication of physical devices with each other and the broad internet makes it possible to create automated monitoring and decision-making systems for smart agriculture to reduce uh, resource consumption and decreasing production costs is something that actually a number of researchers have been working on in Turkey. Um, although IoT-based models are very promising for smart agriculture, many details surrounding their development still need to be addressed to create power-efficient, low-cost, secure and widely deployable solutions in Turkey. R&D efforts for IoT-based smart agriculture are much needed to design and, and develop, of course, frameworks that constantly monitor fields for various parameters, make intelligent decisions uh, regarding irrigation, fertilization, pest control, etc., alert farmers regarding the needs of their field and conditions that could uh, affect the yield uh, and build uh, a knowledge base across farms using cutting edge but low cost technology. And such frameworks will contribute to the welfare of agricultural societies through increased access to and awareness of um, advanced technologies to be utilized in daily farming operations. As I had said, there are various researchers working on these questions in Turkey. Um, but again, it all boils down to whether public-private partnerships are formed to use this knowledge produced in academia, apply it to real-life needs uh, so these solutions can have a, a positive impact on the economy as a whole. Uh, but I shall pause here. I spoke too much already. I got too excited and uh, just wanted to give the perspective of academia, civil society needs, and industry and, and, and government. Uh, they have, I would say, quite a bit of divergences and convergences at the same time, as you can see uh, in the case of Turkey. Yeah, no, that was a masterful stitching of all those very different um 
priorities and agendas. So thank you for raising that. And thank you also for raising those structural challenges that I think we all should be taking a look at in our respective countries and regions, things like education, things like gender. But it, Mary, you know, it's been such a fascinating conversation. We, I almost feel like we need a whole series just on Turkey and technology. We unfortunately only have a few more minutes left. Um, I really wanted to get your insights on Turkey's place in the world because Turkey, as we all know, is in such a unique geographical location, but also strategic location, right? It's, it's both the East and the West, it's both the North and the South. Can you give us a sense of how Turkey is navigating its technological relationships with the major powers, with its EU neighbors, with China, you mentioned China, uh, the United States and others um, in just a few minutes, unfortunately. Okay, I will try to cut it uh, brief this time. Well, I mean, the thing is, um, starting with the relations with China, I mean, uh, President Erdogan used to be really outspoken when it came to supporting China's Uyghur minority, but then came a U-turn in this stance, people believe, particularly since the pandemic erupted, the Turkish economy has been struggling, partly as a result of the fundamental issues that had not been addressed before the pandemic, as I mentioned, capital flows out of the country have been concerning with the foreign resource shrinking. So Turkey has been really trying to attract investment from the East, particularly from China, since the Western companies and investors are staying away from the country that really ranks quite low in liberal democracy index. So we see that Turkey and China are indeed moving to, to increase collaboration in the field of digital technologies now. They recently launched the second uh, mobile fast digital technologies fair under the motto strengthening technological ties between China and Turkey, which marked the 50th anniversary of the two countries' diplomatic relations, uh, I believe. There are more than 30 Chinese digital companies with investments or partners in Turkey's market. The Chinese tech giant Huawei's Research and Development Center in Istanbul, I think, uh, is its largest overseas. And several Chinese mobile phone manufacturers, uh, such as Technomobile, have also established production facilities in, in Istanbul recently. So there we actually see a growing collaboration. And uh, some people term this as uh, Turkey turning its back against the West and increasing its relations with uh, with the East uh, or China in general. But we also see that EBRD is still a leading institutional investor and to date has invested more than uh, 13 billion euros in Turkey through more than 300 projects and about 96% of these in the private sector. So this increasing collaboration uh, is something we, we need to bear in mind. This past May, the EBRD president and the Turkish Minister for Industry and Technology actually agreed to deepen cooperation. And they're partnering to boost innovation in competitive sectors such as machinery, electrics, electronics, mobility, pharmaceuticals, and chemicals. So EBRD and, and the Ministry for Industry and Technology have together established uh, what is called the technology-focused industry movement which consolidates several incentives to, that promote investments in technology and skills. This really reveals what could be considered as a very pragmatic decision-making, right? Some believe 
Erdogan used to be pro-West, pro-EU before taking an authoritarian turn after the, the global financial crisis. But the stance of the government regarding these collaborations, especially in technology, seem to be based on uh, strategic interest calculations, benefiting from, of course, Turkey's geographical position connecting the East and the West. And uh, similar collaborations are seen between Turkey and other global uh, South neighbors. For example, in March 2021, one of the Turkish technoparks actually signed a memorandum of understanding with Azerbaijan's innovation agency in the field of high technologies, uh, creating a technology development zone. And so the aim is, you know, the know-how and high tech and deep entrepreneurship to be transferred to Azerbaijan as, as part of the deal. So we see ongoing collaborations with the East and the West, but we obviously do see an increasing interest with the Belt and Road Initiative of, of China, Turkey becoming part of an, an ongoing collaborator with China as well. The story is a little different when it comes to the United States, but you know, since we do not have that much time, maybe we can keep that for later. I also wanted to say I mean, in general, if you would like to wrap up, I mean, the use of integrated and fully automated intelligence systems really increases the need for qualified workforce. And it also creates the need for machine to human interaction. This is really uh, a message that I I try to underline in in every talk we have uh, in this context, because future labor force should be trained in accordance with these skills. I I keep on saying keeping human in the loop is actually really the key. And organizations should also offer continuous training to retrain the current workforce so that they can have the qualifications required by uh, Industry 4.0. With that, I will stop. Mary, this was absolutely fantastic. I mean, there are so few people I know who would be able to talk about the breadth and depth of technological problems, challenges, and prospects in the way that you have. So I'm really grateful for your thoughts and for sharing Turkey's experience with us. And I hope we'll continue this conversation very soon. Thanks again, Mary. Thank you very much, Alina. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and found the conversation useful. This podcast series is made possible by the John H. MacArthur Research Fellowship in cooperation with the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada, Canada's leading think tank on Canada-Asia relations. To learn more about the fellowship or the foundation, be sure to visit asiapacific.ca.